0: Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic
1: Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening.
0: For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed to the Spirit, to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promised in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's, the Lord's people, this grace was given to me, to, pre- to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory.
1: Great job. Thank you very much, Katie. Well done, team. Um, It's entirely appropriate, actually, on the day that we choose to remember the contribution of British and Commonwealth military and civilian servicemen and women in the two world wars and also in later conflicts, that we learn together in um, our series, Who Do You Think We Are, uh, based in the book of Ephesians, we learn that we're afflicted. We're afflicted. What's our identity as Christians? We're Afflicted. I bet you weren't expecting us to talk about this tonight. It's not the usual feel-good stuff that you hear uh, in churches, but in a very sobering way, we must understand that we are afflicted as Christians and that in this room and across our church family, there is right now pain and grief and illness, marriage difficulties, cancer, unemployment, miscarriages, depression. We're a hurting people, we're persecuted, we are hated, we're made to suffer, we're afflicted. And how we deal with our affliction is our theme today. What's wonderful is that the Bible is strong enough to not hide this under a rug, but to recognise that part of the life of a Christian is affliction and distress. It's fascinating, actually, the Bible is, is full of affliction. There are 150 psalms, one third of which are laments. They're songs that express sadness. And ultimately, we believe as Christians that God doesn't stand aloof. Um, he doesn't stand on his own, out of harm's way, but rather through Jesus' son, he suffers the most. He suffers horrifically. He suffers unjustly. And so listen, we don't have a God tonight who is somehow immune from affliction or separated from it, but rather he's a God that, who enters right into the thick of it. He tastes it, he experiences it, he identifies with us in the middle of it. And our great hope is because of that there is comfort and there is strength and there is power and there is his presence in these very dark moments. So listen, talking about affliction tonight, I'm going to ask you to give me your time and your attention. I'm going to ask you to try and be a little bit vulnerable tonight with whatever's going on in your lives. But talking about affliction either prepares you for when it hits. And so for some of you tonight, there's been no affliction in your life, but there will be a day when it comes. And I hope that you draw on moments like these. But there also is, uh, for those of you that are being afflicted right now, what we're going to do tonight is help you not back away from your affliction because it's too painful and too difficult. But rather for you to take a step into it and take a step into God, into sharing some of that pain with your family here. Because that's the very thing you need to survive it. You know, that's what we do when something's painful or difficult. We can often just get so entrenched in it that we never have the wisdom to back off and go to the very things that will help us most. So this is either preparation tonight or I'm asking for lots of courage for you to go there tonight so that God can really meet with you. So that's the plan. How are we going to do that? Well, the Bible's pretty clear about affliction and what I want to do is try and talk about affliction first and then we're going to jump into the passage that we just read. It's important because I want you to either connect with the affliction in your own lives or I want... Um, To help you as you deal with the affliction in other people's lives. So, I've got nine different types of affliction for you. The game isn't to try and sort of say, yeah, I got seven out of nine or anything like that. We're just going to work our way through. So, number one, affliction from sin. We believe as Christians when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience in the Garden of Eden, A perfect world was broken. Sin rushed in and destroyed uh, the the good things that God had created. It means that people die. It means people get ill. It means there's disasters. There's epidemics. There's disease that strikes the earth. We experience affliction in this life because of sin's general impact in the world. Secondly, we experience affliction from bad choices. And this is where, using the Apostle Paul's language in Galatians 6, he talks about this principle of reaping what we sow. So if you eat badly and don't exercise, then you will reap ill health. If you spend more than you earn, you will reap debt. If you stay in bed too often, you will lose your job. If you drink too much, you will end up with liver damage. Affliction that is the result of our own silly and mistaken choices. Number three, there's affliction from the devil and his demons. Yes, we do believe in Satan, and his purpose is to destroy the lives and faith of Christians. The affliction he sends might be lies in our mind that pull us away from God's truth. It might be sickness, it might be attack, it might be torment. And in Ephesians 6, we're going to get there in a few weeks' time, Paul actually is going to teach us how to fight that sort of affliction. Fourthly, there is affliction from others. This is where you're the victim. So these are moments when you did nothing wrong and someone sins against you. Somebody did something that was wrong and you didn't deserve it and in no way should you have endured it, but you were sinned against. And this is the consequence of sin And God is grieved by it. Fifthly, affliction because others are suffering. This is where you're part of a people who are suffering, and so you're suffering alongside them. Perhaps you're part of a nation that's at war, or you're in a community where tragedy has struck. Now for Paul and the Ephesians, they were actually suffering in this way. He loves them, they love him in return. He started the church, he oversees the church and he can't be with them because right now he is in prison. He is suffering and they're suffering because they're suffering with him. Is there anyone that you really love and they're suffering? And so as a result, to some degree, you are suffering tonight. It's affliction because others are suffering. Sixthly, there is affliction because of your faith. This is where you suffer or are ill-treated because of what you believe. It seems like people hate you, but actually they hate the Jesus in you. And I wonder how many of you have family members, friends, work colleagues that just don't like you because you're a Christian. Affliction because of your faith. Seventhly there's affliction from God. This is a very difficult one but really this is where for a Christian God allows some affliction not to punish people but rather to mature them, to bring freedom and to bring others to glorify him. The way I think about this one is um, the best sort of Analogy I can think of is from the film Castaway. I don't know if any of you have seen this brilliant film, one of my favourite films with Tom Hanks. How many of you have seen this film? Yeah, so quite a lot of you. Um, in this film, Tom Hanks is um, uh, is marooned on an island in the middle of the ocean, and it's his tale of survival. And he's on this island for about seven years. And the thing that keeps him going on this island is that he makes a friend out of a volleyball and he names him Wilson, and Wilson uh, becomes the thing that Tom Hanks talks to, relies upon, um, it, he um, it goes, it doesn't go anywhere without him, he's the thing he protects, he's the thing that keeps him going. And right near the end of the film, as he attempts to escape uh, this island, he takes Wilson with him, And there's a a heartbreaking moment where a storm comes and the raft that he's made starts to separate. And uh, he realises that Wilson has come off his raft and is floating away in the current. He dives in to save Wilson and he gets halfway there and suddenly realises his raft is being pulled in another direction. So he finds himself in the middle of the ocean, Wilson, who he's desperate to, to gather in, and the raft that he needs to survive. And it is a, a huge question for him what he should do. And sadly, he eventually gets to the raft and says goodbye to Wilson. It is a moment where a storm brings separation. It brings clarity as to what Tom Hanks has to live for. If you put it in Christian terms, Wilson is the idol. Wilson is whatever is there in our lives that we look to, that we love, that isn't God. And sometimes God allows affliction, a storm to happen, where we clearly see what we're truly looking for and longing for. And it's in those moments we have a choice to make. We're in the ocean and we can either choose to worship our idol, the thing that we've put in God's place, or we go to God. And so God brings affliction to our lives in order to mature us and to change us. Eighthly, there's affliction that's for our good. This is where God allows some hardship but it's to warn us and spare us from greater hardship. So that pain that you experience means that you go to the doctor and discover you actually need an operation. It seems bad, but without it, you would experience greater misery. And ninthly there, and lastly, there is mysterious affliction. This is a huge category, but this is affliction, if you like, that we can't categorize. It's like we just don't know what is going on. The Bible says actually that we see in part and we know in part, which means uh, we just don't have the full picture in this life. But in the new creation, we will be able to make sense of stuff that makes no sense now. But until then, we often, as I speak to people that suffer, it's so hard in those moments to actually work out where the good is, what God's saying, why you're going through what you're going through. And so I call this huge category mysterious affliction. And so listen, why have we spent so long at this at the start? Well, I want you to see that understanding the type of affliction helps us love people in this family here. You see, if someone is hurting and it's a result of affliction from bad choices, we don't just want to show comfort, but we need to lovingly warn them. If you carry on this way, you'll shipwreck your faith. If you carry on this way, you'll lose your marriage. If you keep doing that, you will devastate your friendships. If you keep eating that, you will ruin your health. However, if it's affliction from others, in other words, you're the victim, then you don't need anyone asking you to repent. What you need to do is bring care and comfort. And so knowing the type of affliction helps us really care and comfort one another. But more than anything, whatever the affliction, we must help each other move from the why questions which come so easily to us. Why me? Why now? Why this? And instead we need to gently encourage each other to ask the who questions. Who is Jesus in the middle of your affliction? Who are you in Christ in the middle of the affliction? What is your true identity as a Christian? You see, what's your identity through the affliction is so important because your affliction doesn't establish your identity, but your identity will get you through the affliction. Who is Jesus and who are you? So what affliction is happening in our passage? Well, Paul, who's the author of this letter that's about 2,000 years old, says in verse 1, For it, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. What sort of affliction is Paul experiencing right now? Well, he is afflicted for the sake of others and their benefit. So if you like, he's opening up this chapter by saying, I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. I'm in jail because I love you and I serve Jesus. But this is for others good. He says, I'm suffering for this people group called the Gentiles. So this is quite remarkable, actually. The author of the letter, Paul, is—he's gone from being the persecutor to persecuted. He spent his life murdering people that defected to the Christian faith, but now he's in, been imprisoned for calling people to become Christians. So we must ask ourselves: Why is this such a big deal? Why has what he has been doing, you know, produced such an impact on his life? But there's two things that he's going to talk about here and he describes it for us in verse 2. Look at verse 2 with me. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. Paul says that he's a witness to something that has come via the grace of God. So he's saying, I'm nothing special. There's nothing special about me. But God, in his grace and love, has chosen to reveal something to me. Something about God's plans and who God is. And it's a mystery that has seen, been seen partially but not in its fullness. It's a bit like if you ask me to wrap any of your Christmas presents, especially if it's a tricky present, then I just don't know how to do it. And so some people can do beautiful Christmas present wrapping, I cannot. And so often there'll be bits of the present either poking through the wrapping or not quite covered. And so if you were to receive that present, then you'd be able to look at it and make a guess as to what's inside. But it's actually only until you open it fully that it'd be like, oh yeah, I thought it was that. And Paul's saying something about this mystery. He's saying it's been partially seen. You could just about see what it is in the scriptures. But right now in Jesus, this mystery is getting unveiled. It's being unwrapped. So verse four, in reading this then you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So this hidden mystery is being revealed. What is the mystery? Verse six, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So two things here. Number one, the mystery is about the Gentiles getting included in God's family. That's part of the mystery that is being revealed. The Gentiles were non-Jews. People uh, who the Jews saw as very far away spiritually and very far away culturally. And Paul has realized that God's plan was to bring this this Gentile people group into the family of Jesus Christ. They would inherit God's promises. They would inherit spiritual gifts. They would inherit new life just as much as God's chosen people, the Jews. So for the Gentiles, this is what he's saying, there was double alienation. So the Gentiles, they were alienated from God because of their sin. But they were alienated from the Jewish people because they weren't God's chosen people. But in Christ there is double reconciliation. So in Christ they've been brought near to God through what Jesus does on the cross. But also every barrier that divided them and the Jews has totally been dismantled. They can be one people, one new man in Christ. And this news that Paul spoke about to many Jewish people um, just drove them crazy. Israel saw themselves as God's special people and now other people were being invited in. I mean, I just, you know, when I look at my life, I struggle to share things In Starbucks this week, on a little round table, preparing this preach, there were three chairs around me, it was lunchtime, packed out Starbucks, and I was working away, and a lady comes across to me and says, do you mind if we sit here with you in these two seats? And I'm like, yes, I do mind, a lot. But I nodded and said, no, that's fine, you can sit here. And I'm... I'm amazed that it's just a little table that I'm struggling to share and the feeling of ownership and my rights and personal space. Like perhaps it's just the English sinful bits of me, but that's like a big deal for someone to sit at my table. And for the Jews, it's like bigger than just sharing the table. It is sharing everything that they thought made them special. And suddenly they're giving it all up. It's suddenly going to every people group and people didn't like it but secondly this new community of Jews and Gentiles this mixing of different people was somehow going to demonstrate to a watching world the wisdom of God look at verse 10 his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, they accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is talking about the mixing of Gentiles and Jews in Christ. And he says, whatever that does, whatever you see when you look at that mixture, it says something about God. Perhaps in, you could just imagine this with me because I think this is something of what he's trying to communicate. Could you just shut your eyes for a moment? I want you to use your imaginations. And I want you, just in your mind, I want you to picture a huge canvas, like a massive, massive canvas that perhaps fills the sky. Or perhaps in a place that you know well, that is like a mountain range, something that is just a huge space. And I want you to imagine a big canvas. And in front of this canvas is an invisible painter. And the painter is God. And he intends this painting, this canvas, to be the visible display of his wisdom. Because he knows people can't see him, but he wants his wisdom to be seen and admired. So think of this canvas, this huge canvas, and I want you to imagine that God is painting it. With thousands and thousands and thousands of different colours and shades and textures. Each colour, each little dab of paint, each shade all represents a different person being drawn together in Christ. And what's wonderful about this, he's not just got thousands of different colors before him that he adds to the canvas, but he's actually got thousands and millions of different brushes, all shapes and sizes, that he's using to paint the picture with. And those brushes are God's missionaries, you and me. And I want you to look at this picture that you can see in your mind's eye. Perhaps it's just a huge layers of color. I want you to look and stand back and admire the skill and the creativity. And I want you to realise that the painting is the church. The painting is breathtaking. It's a sign and a wonder. Because such beauty is made out of messy, ordinary globs of colour drawn together into a masterpiece. Do you want to open your eyes? Paul realises that he is a paintbrush in the hands of the artist. And you and I are somehow in this picture. If you're a Christian here tonight, we are a splash of colour on the canvas. But we are also a paintbrush. We are also have people to paint in, people to reach, people to join the picture. And so Paul is preaching this message that the Gentiles are now in. And more than that, together with the Jews, they form this incredible picture, the church that says something about the wisdom of God. And it's no wonder the Jews hated him for it. It's no wonder demons opposed him. It's no wonder that God-haters persecuted him. Yet he knows he is a prisoner for their sake. He suffers for others' good, and that's how he understood it. And so it provides us two things to close with. Firstly, is actually a very difficult question for you to ask yourselves. The question is this, how can your affliction help others and advance the good news of Jesus? You see, Paul is so fixed on his mission that the affliction he experienced is framed that way. You see, for him, his faith and his difficult circumstances overlap. So it's like this, he sees life with this huge sort of... uh, I guess, the the way he frames his life, or if you imagine a lens, the way he sees all of his life is that he is here to advance the good news of Jesus. And so whatever he experiences on that journey, he takes it with that sort of view of the world. I think me and you, we have a very small like mission-minded lens that we keep in our back pocket, that we take out every now and then when someone reminds us that's how we should be living. But generally we do the rest of life just perhaps normally with perhaps a Christian mindset. For Paul, that lens just framed everything that he saw. And so when he suffered, when he's a prisoner, you don't get in the letter a big whinge, a moan. Look at what preaching the gospel to you guys means for me. He's not asking for sympathy, but rather this is just how he sees the suffering. You know, sometimes God gets excluded from very painful parts of our lives perhaps if you're an independent person perhaps if you're like a fix-it sort of person but a great question to ask yourself is how can I suffer in a way that advances the gospel how can others be impacted and for those that have been afflicted you have powerful credibility in today's world And my advice to you would be this, don't let all that you've enjoyed and the cost that you have paid, the energy that you have spent to deal with suffering in a godly way, do not waste it, but invest it in others. And I'm not just talking about here extracting principles forensically and so that somehow in the middle of someone else's affliction you can pull out these really good little snippets of wisdom. And I think just generally as Christians, we are good at that. And many of you in this room, you know, you've got all the answers when it comes to God's suffering. Or you know the right things to say and the right things to advise people. I'm really not talking about that. I'm talking about taking the tears and the lost sleep. And the grinding pain that you feel in your stomach when you're afflicted. The huge waves of sadness that roll over you and doing all those things with Christ. And then out of that very honest place, reach out when you're ready to others that are suffering too. And that's why sometimes the most powerful ministries that we experience are born out of the deepest afflictions. Paul is afflicted and his message is dynamite and he's firstly saying I'm an example of using suffering to benefit others but secondly it's all leading somewhere else in verse 12 in him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you which are your glory he's asking them to do something really simple And it's this, in your affliction, however you are afflicted, please do not give up. Verse 13, I ask you therefore, do not be discouraged. So firstly, he wants us to know how our affliction helps others. But lastly, he wants us to not lose heart. And you know, it's fascinating here as he talks about suffering, he's not calling them to pretend That everything's going to be okay. And I think sometimes as Christians we feel a pressure to do that with those that don't know Jesus. Pretend it doesn't really hurt. Pretend that everything's okay for fear of somehow communicating that in this process it could be a little bit chaotic. He's not saying don't grieve, don't call out to God, don't cry. He's not saying hide it, don't talk about it. He's simply saying in the middle of your affliction stand firm. And so to close, I want to encourage us to do the same. God is not shaken by your shakings. You know, in the Bible, um, um, in Ruth 1, a lady called Naomi provides a, a really quiet, um, powerful example. So Naomi changes her name to Mara, which means afflicted when she suffers. And the circumstances that she goes through actually becomes her identity and they overwhelm her and she loses her heart. She lost heart. And it's interesting, it's right near the end of the story that she finally sees the goodness of God at work through her daughter-in-law Ruth marrying, marrying Boaz that she manages to find the faith to own her true identity again. And we find in the text that she suddenly is called Naomi once more. And Naomi means pleasant. And for her, it's about God treating her in a pleasant way. God indeed is pleasant to us, even in the middle of affliction. So let me say it again. I've said this before, but your affliction does not establish your identity. But your identity will get you through your affliction. Amen? I mean, that that is dynamite for those of us that have got suffering that is coming our way. And what have we learned about our identity so far in the book of Ephesians? Well, we've learned that we're in Christ, that we're saints, we're blessed, we're chosen, we're saved, we're forgiven. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at what it is to be adopted being fathered, to be victorious. And you know what? In our affliction, we must claim those things for ourselves. They are the who questions. Who am I? You know, my experience generally of people that are suffering is that they don't just tend to ask the why questions. That's almost like too much to like even come before God and say why. Usually when people are suffering, you just churn over your suffering. You're just in the... The rubbish moment. You are just so aware of what's going on, and it's just so difficult to break out of that place because you're focused on how life hurts. And it's in that place that the very thing we want to do is get on our own and avoid seeing people, and we don't want to talk to God. But the very things that Paul is instructing this church in is for you to come to God, for you to know who he is. He is the thing that is stable when you're on unshaky ground. And who you are in Christ is the very thing that will get you through difficult moments. So as we finish, we've really looked at these things. Number one, there are many types of affliction and we need to know about them because secondly, it's wise to know what type of affliction it is if we're to care wisely for one another. Thirdly, at some point, it's good to ask, how does my affliction serve others and the gospel? You know, I spoke to someone this morning in our North Gathering. It was a wonderful moment for her as she realized she looked back at probably seven years ago, very traumatic incident, and it's seven years gone. And she said to me this morning, I can see that this happened So that I can bless others. And it was for her, it was just like a moment of revelation as she understood God's purposes in her affliction. My prayer is that that's how we will deal with our affliction. And fourthly, and I just want to say this if you are feeling this right now, do not lose heart. You know, that's Paul's simple advice to you do not lose heart. Hold on, come to God, come to his character and goodness. Don't get isolated and remember who you are in Jesus. The resources are there for you to stand firm. And so I'd love to pray for us as we finish. Do you want to stand up? We're going to sing and we're going to worship Jesus. If we could have the band back, that'd be great. I think it'd be wonderful if we do get a chance just to perhaps pray for each other. We'll pray into this in a moment, but... Do you want to just close your eyes with me for a moment? Thank you for just really staying with this text. I know it's a difficult one tonight. But just in these moments, I I do want to ask for a bit of vulnerability, guys. So do you want to close your eyes? Please don't run from painful places. Please don't hide. Please don't disconnect because it's too hard. Heavenly Father, we come to you, God of all comfort, who does not stand aloof, who is not distant, who's not passive, who's not uncaring, who's not immune to our suffering, but one that knows our pain, one that promises to comfort those that mourn. Lord, we come to you. That's the God we come to. And we ask that you would come very close to us. We offer you our circumstances. For some of you, that's a huge deal. You've just been holding on to it for fear. It's all going to spiral out of control. And I pray for some of you now for grace to give this to God. And I ask, Lord, that you'd give us grace to go beyond just survival But somehow we would see our affliction in a way that uh, means ultimately it would bless others and advance the, the gospel. So as we sing, Holy Spirit, you're so welcome to come and do all that you need to do in us. Please keep us from going through the motions. You're so welcome, Holy Spirit, come amongst us. Come bring him your burdens. Come bring him your pain. Offer up your life to him and ask for good foundations to be built for when affliction comes.